With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. Manchester United are out of Europe. 10 points off the top spot in the Premier League. And it's not even Christmas. In all circumstances, any Man United manager would be under almost unbearable pressure. So why aren't the club going to sack Eric Ten Hag just yet? I'm Ayoki Muleri. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. And there is the full-time whistle at Manchester United's elimination from Europe is confirmed and there are boos at full-time. It's another problem for Eric Ten Hag. Alongside me for this one, we've got Adam Crafton. We've also got a Manchester United writer, Laurie Whitwell, and our German football writer, Raphael Hunningstein. Laurie, oh, Old Trafford last night. You even managed to record your podcast, Talk of the Devils. What was the reaction last night from the fans anyway? Yeah, we always try and record in Old Trafford if we can all together, um, really capture the atmosphere and the mood. Uh, there wasn't much atmosphere by the time we got round to uh, speaking because uh, long before the final whistle, it was clear that United were going out of Europe entirely. Um, that There was no sign of a comeback against a, a pretty functional Bayern team that were probably playing in second gear. Um, fans sort of stayed with United to you know, near the end, but then you know when Copenhagen had won their game, clearly the Champions League progress was over and uh, people left. And so it was, it was pretty flat. In fact, the atmosphere never really picked up too much um, throughout the whole game. I think people didn't really go into it with any great expectation that United could mount a kind of unexpected comeback at the last and, and sneak through. Um, so, yeah, pretty deflating evening all round. Crafton, did you sort of echo that? Did you go into that match thinking, probably not going to get anything out of this? Or did you have that quiet sort of fan optimism that, do you know what, we could turn this around? Manchester United, Bayern Munich, it's always a, a lovely little draw, isn't it? I think with Manchester United at the moment, you people keep saying they're inconsistent, but I don't think they are. Like their performances are consistently bad, right? In pretty much every game this season, apart from one Carabao Cup game against Crystal Palace's reserve team, the performances are bad. Like it's that's the consistent thing. So you're kind of relying on moments or mistakes by the opposition, as you saw maybe with Chelsea last week, where you know people got very excited because United beat Chelsea, but actually... Then you look at the pattern of Chelsea's other games, and we spoke about them yesterday, and I, I, there's just very little to give real encouragement. So people go into Sunday at Anfield saying anything can happen because it's Manchester United against Liverpool at Anfield. And actually, like, I think we all know what's going to happen. right? We know the kind of performance you're going to get. We can talk about injuries. Yeah, they've got a lot of injuries now. But I don't think the performance last night would have been that different, to be honest, based on what we've seen when other players have been fit. I mean, essentially what Laurie says about the atmosphere, because I thought actually going into last night, even in the last 15 minutes, United are only a goal down at Old Trafford. And if they were to have turned that round in the last 15 minutes, which isn't an impossible thing against the Bayern team that were comfortable but not brilliant, mm. 
And then all it would have taken is one goal elsewhere. They were out, but the contest shouldn't have been shouldn't have been as dead as it was. I mean, honestly, like, I fell asleep. The last 20 minutes of that game, I was watching it and I fell asleep. And Monday had been a lot, late night, but nothing was happening. United offered nothing in that last 20 minutes to get to give any kind of optimism. So yeah, massively underwhelming again. Raf, um, you know, we always talk up Manchester United by Munich based on that incredible Champions League final many years ago but you know huge history between these two clubs but you look at how Bayern came into this that huge defeat uh, against Frankfurt do you feel like Manchester United even though it was an away match for Tuchel was almost like the perfect match for Bayern Munich it turned out to be the perfect match because it had a nice balance between stature and sort of reputation but actual footballing reality being uh, not that impressive and not that frightening so it felt like a bit big result, but in the end, it was a quite comfortable one. And in that sense, United were a very amenable opponent. There's a word for this in German, Aufbaugegner. It's the kind of uh, opponent that you need when you need to be picked up, when you need, uh, need to find a bit of confidence. Uh, your go-to three points um, sort of opponent. And a lot of the reviews and, and reports I read in, in Germany this morning reflect the fact that Yes, United on paper, Old Trafford on paper were, you know, difficult opponents. And Tuchel said it was always, it's always difficult, always uncomfortable at Trafford. But in reality, it was exactly what they needed. Um, a, a game that felt big, but actually was not all that exerting for them. Mm. What was that word again? Aufbaugegner. <laughs> What do you agree to that, Laurie? Uh, Manchester United now becoming Aufbaugegner for other teams. You're the team. People need to play to pick themselves up. I mean, that's kind of odd to hear. Yeah. Well, it sounded like Adam needed a, a pick me up after his Monday night exertion. So, um, <laughs> but it, it turned out it, it didn't pick him up. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it does feel like United have that soft underbelly. You know, they're easy to play against. We've we've, we've spoken and, and drilled into the midfield gaps. That I mean, to be fair, Amrabat I think kind of plugged those fairly well last night. But again, it wasn't wasn't like. Bayern Munich were, you know, really stretching themselves. They knew they could play within themselves and still probably get the result. Yeah, just the fact that United were unable to muster anything. It was one shot on target from Luke Shaw, 20 yards out in the first half that Manuel Neuer sort of palmed over easily. As Adams touched on, the jeopardy was still there up until, you know, quite late on in the game. But the reality of the situation was Eric Ten Hag was bringing on um, Facundo Pellistri, Hannibal Mesbury, Kobi Mainu as his, um, you know, attempts to try and get United uh, some pressure in the final third. We've got one senior goal between them um, for Manchester United, and that's Hannibal's earlier this season, which was a consolation. So, you know, uh, the, the idea that United were going to suddenly have some scoring potential with these guys on the pitch was just, you know, not going to happen with the extensive injury list that they've got. Um, now, you know, you can ask questions about why that is and also the general harmony around the team and Eric Ten Hag's position and, and the wider um, situation of the club and how much that feeds into it all as well. But it never, it just didn't feel like a, a proper Champions League night where there was something on the line. There was, there was not really any edge. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Eric, given that he's not started many games in recent weeks, is there an issue with Rafael Varane beyond tactical decisions with your selections? No, absolutely not. It's, uh, as I said, it was about tactical uh, reasons why, um, why I choose uh, these partnerships. 
Raphael Varane's inclusion, you know, coming back in for this game, having almost seemed like, what, the fifth choice centre-back recently? He's not played for six weeks. He's not started a game for six weeks. And we've kind of been given different reasons. That there's been injury issues, that there's been illness. There's also been selection choices. So the day that he didn't start the Manchester derby, Johnny Evans started that game. And I think Ten Hag afterwards was talking about liking sort of having left-sided centre-halves and viewing Evans as a better option uh, because of passing angles and playing out from the back. So you think, okay, if you take that at face value. And then last night, Varane starts alongside Maguire. So that was after, you know, over the last few weeks, you've had Evans play ahead of him, Lindelof play ahead of him, Luke Shaw play ahead of him. Last night, you put Maguire and Varane together, which he's always sort of been quite reluctant to do. But then Maguire got injured and Varane had started the game as the left-sided centre-half because Maguire's now first choice on the right side. And Evans came on. So if it was consistent with what Ten Hag's been saying, Evans should have been the left-sided centre-back, right? Based on what he's been saying over the last few weeks. And Varane moves to the right. Then he kept Varane as the left-sided centre-half and put Johnny Evans on the right. So that seemed a bit strange. The only thing I can think, I don't know if he was asked about this after the game in, in his press conference. The only thing I can think is that there was something specific about Bayern Munich that Varane might have been assigned to do last night that he just wanted to keep the consistency of during the game. But he certainly didn't look... To, I mean, I thought he was one of United's better performers on the night. And he didn't look to me as though he was someone incapable of playing left-sided centre-half where... didn't he, I mean, I'm sure he must have played there for Real Madrid lots of times over the years. It just seems a really odd situation. It very much gives the impression that there's been far more to it behind the scenes, whether it's just concerns over his durability and ability to play regularly and how reliable he can be. But also, I think there seems to have been a little bit of a falling out as well. It felt a little bit as if uh, Ten Hag had raised the white flag before the game by focusing on on defence and making sure that United weren't going to get embarrassed and quite happy to sacrifice any sense of impetus, any sense of adventure and committing men forward uh, at the expense of just staying very disciplined. And in terms of discipline, I think Amrabat and, and McTominay probably had one of their best games together. And Varane is somebody who benefits from that protection uh, in front of him. He's not good one we one He's good when he has people in front of him, when he can marshal them, when he can organise things. And United defensively looked look pretty solid. But of course, it was a must-win game for them. It, it, and it felt more like a must-not-lose-heavy game for Ten Hag in terms of the setup and the way they, they conducted themselves throughout the 90 minutes. Laurie, was there any explanation for why he played for Ren um, at all um, from his post-match presser at all? Not post-match, but pre-game, because the post-match was quite quick. But no, in terms of Varane, he said before the game that he wanted you know, a, a kind of defence-focused uh, um, bat line, which is kind of uh, what Raf's alluding to, I guess, there. And I think also it, perhaps a bit of emphasis should go on his fitness record. You know, he, he came into United with issues around his knees and and that's been, you know, there's been moments where he's been able to get a run of games together and, and people that know him would say that he needs that rhythm to really play at his best. But I think Ten Hag perhaps got to a point where he felt that he wasn't producing the kind of proactive defence that he wants, you know, which weirdly enough, because Johnny Evans is five years older than him, he actually does 
do pretty well. And Maguire more recently has obviously come into his own in that regard. I think he had another good game, Maguire, before he was forced off with a groin injury. Um, and it's interesting to see whether him or Shaw will be able to be back for the Liverpool game because United are right down to the bare bones now for that one. Um, so, But I think the Varane thing is a really interesting um, sort of dynamic given his pedigree and and given sort of how important he was last season, really, for Eric Ten Hag. He, he was part of this sort of important triangle of Martinez, Varane and Casemiro, which is what Ten Hag felt that he found success on. And all of them have been absent this season. Yeah, that triangle has been totally gone. So he would perhaps point to that as being one of the main reasons for United's troubles this season. Raf, I wonder if we could just zoom out here um, and look at Manchester United through European goggles coming into the Champions League, um, especially from a German perspective. You see that draw in the in the Champions League. Do you think Bayern still saw United as this big European force? I think they took them seriously because United have individual players that can hurt you. I mean, you saw the amount of goals that they have scored in this group and it probably should have been enough to qualify quite comfortably. It's it's defensively that's been the, the real problem. And uh, even in Munich uh, at the 4-3, United suggested that there is something there that if only more balance were to be found... Uh, they can they can score goals against against big sides, but by the time they arrived at Old Trafford, I think the United in crisis mode had kind of changed the dimension of the game from a Bayern point of view. Also, the amount of injuries and Bayern's own issues going into the game, which kind of sharpened their their focus and really made them put a bit of extra effort in, even if it didn't perhaps translate into free flowing football. But in terms of organization. A defensive structure. Part of the reason why the game didn't produce many big moments was because Bayern themselves were very much preoccupied with being solid at the back because they were so symbolic in that 5-1 defeat against Frankfurt on Saturday. The question mark for me is, how come the progress that we all saw last season, how come they seem to have been unable to move on from that and uh, and move move further into the right direction and instead have gone backwards, not just one or two steps, but almost all the way back to where they were two, three years ago. That's how it feels at the moment. Raf's completely right. And there's so many reasons you can talk about with that. There's, I think, yeah, injuries have played a part. I think Ten Hag's relationship with certain players has played a part. It's very difficult to like adequately explain how Marcus Rashford can go from what he was doing last season to what he's become over the past you know, two or three months, complete shadow of himself. I felt sorry last night for Rasmus Hoyland, you know, playing up front in that team. You you have this like kid who's been signed at the age of 20 and it's the obvious comparison to make, but look at the, the number nine on the other team, right? Who is so much of a finished article that a top club should really have. Hoyland's probably a good signing for Manchester United as a football club if you look at it from a long lens point of view but probably a really bad signing for Eric Ten Hag's second season as the main striker. So it can be both those things at the same time. I mean, last night he looked like an underage guy trying to get into a bar up against two nightclub bouncers, right? With Upamecano <laughs> and Kim, yeah. who were just all over him, right? And he couldn't... Uh, and most most forwards would struggle against them because they're, you know, they're powerful, they're fast... So those weapons that Hoyland also has... Also incredibly experienced as well. And experienced, yeah. you know, Rufa has played World Cup finals. Mm. So, and it's not only that, he doesn't have support. 
He doesn't have players running beyond him. He doesn't have wide players that run inside that cause real problems between the centre-backs and the left-backs. So he's being asked to do a really difficult thing. And then the other problem I think United have tactically on the ball is they don't keep the ball in the opponent's half of the pitch for very long. So they don't sustain attacks in the way that you see Liverpool or Arsenal or Man City do that. So therefore it becomes really hard actually to create chances for your centre-forward because you're really purely relying on counter-attacks to get in behind. But if the guys you're up against are fast and strong and can bully you a bit, then I don't know how he's meant to succeed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. move on to, to to the manager himself and uh i mean based on recent results most many people would be thinking it's his job on the line but um as you know our colleague dan sheldon's written it, it's actually quite complicated in, in in sacking eric ten Hag at this moment in time um laurie i mean look potential Ineos sort of 25% stake in the club are, are arriving fans might be thinking do you know what so jim ratcliffe comes in first on the list might be Ten Hag, but that's not the case. No, and I, I keep having to stop myself from calling it a takeover. I mean, I suppose it's a takeover of sorts if it mm. goes through, as we expect, in that they have authority on sporting decisions. But yeah, 25% still be the Glazers that actually you know own the majority. It's been imminent for, you know, I don't know, several weeks now, really. So I'm always loathe to kind of put a timeline on it. But we, we you know, all the indications are that it is progressing. But their focus from what we hear is is not going to be on Ten Hag. They don't view him as the, you know, main issue at United to resolve. Uh they look at the structure of the club, um, the uh, sporting director, the, the football director John Murter and the recruitment side of things as needing attention. And and that makes sense really because if you want to have a look at that first, which I absolutely endorse, then the manager follows from that. You know, you can't sort of appoint the manager and then you know go after the sort of technical director, sporting director. That's not really how clubs should function. So they're looking at that situation, and and that's why Ten Hag's position, as it stands, um, isn't under threat because you've got these guys coming in that have got their own ideas. Nobody at the club at the moment has the authority to make a call on Ten Hag because they themselves don't know if they'll have jobs in the same way after um, the Ineos um, investment goes through. So, you know, football director John Murta, it's not for sure that he'll be 
changed in, in terms of his role, but I think that's something that Ineos are, are investigating. They're looking at sporting directors and, and sort of recruitment specialists. You've got an interim chief executive in Patrick Stewart who um, is taken over from Richard Arnold, as, as the job title says, on a temporary basis. So they're not going to sort of pull the trigger on such a major decision like this. Um, and then also sort of beyond that, you know, John Murta is absolutely aligned to Ten Hag in the sense that he appointed Ralph Ranić as his as an interim manager obviously Ranić had issues himself but also I think Murta sort of distanced himself from that decision sort of fairly quickly when he saw that it wasn't going to end in a sort of fruitful um sort of period so he then brought in Eric Ten Hag he has to have Eric Ten Hag be a success otherwise the spotlight will firmly fall on him so that's why there's no real appetite at the moment to shift on Eric Ten Hag even though the record as it stands in normal circumstances that would be um a prime among, among people's thoughts i think just as, as just finally wider on that as well i think fans instinct to see another managerial change is sort of held back by the fact that they've seen this before it's it's been a rinse and repeat cycle and i think they would like a manager to be in place beyond uh, players that are potentially you know having issues with performing what he wants or even you know actively kicking back against it so uh, there's not you know there's not that swell of, of public opinion where the, you know people are saying the manager needs to go i think this this structural inertia that uh, Laurie has described is is sort of the biggest um advantage that Ten Hag has at the moment. There doesn't seem to be the right conditions in place to to change him. At the same time, with Ineos taking a close look at how things are, and I'm sure weighing up their ideas for when they take over fully, it feels to me that Ten Hag is now entering uh, a belated period of probation. If they don't feel that he is really taking this team forward in the next two, three, four months. I think that when it comes towards making plans for next season, there could still be a massive question mark over his head as well. He needs to convince everyone that the decision he's made so far, both in terms of how he sets up the team, but also the, the recruitment that he's heavily influenced, are leading United in the right direction. And I would suggest the way this season has gone, we all expected more progress, it doesn't really breed much confidence, I think, and assuredness that handing him more money and having him influence more of the transfer policy going forward is necessarily going to deliver uh, decent results. He's made himself quite cleverly hard to dispose of by buying so many players because uh, Ineos also have to weigh up the fact that if they make a, a change, they will be stuck with lots of Ten Hag players that I'm sure very few managers going into the Man United job will be quite as fond of as he is. It's almost like there's three things that go in Ten Hag's favour. So the first is you've got this takeover, this takeover kind of thing that's happening. So the normal temptation is you go in, you have a look at what's going on in the club, then you make a decision maybe in, in the summer, give yourself that space. The second is, as Raf says, he's bought so many players that it's almost made him more powerful because they've given him so much power that you almost have to see if he can make it work because no other no other mug's going to come in and take them on, right? It, that's the way you feel with it at the moment. And then the other argument is you kind of look at the pattern of Man United over the last 10 years. Well, they've sacked this manager, they've sacked that manager. It can't always be the manager. It must be the players. That's how the argument kind of goes. So again, it's like, I think that gives him a little bit more power in the kind of, if you look at like the popular narratives that are going round. Because there is potentially this fifth Champions League place this season. So I think in an ordinary season, 
you'd almost start to look at Man United and think they're just not going to finish fourth. And I don't think Manchester United will finish fourth. But I think they might finish fifth. And if Ineos would come in and it's kind of early January and they think we might be able to finish fifth, but not by keeping the manager because of the way that relationships are being torched around the dressing room at the moment and that relationship doesn't seem good. And there is this sort of time on, because they're completely out of Europe now, there is this time on the training ground for a new manager potentially to get a real reaction. You could also say there's more time on the training ground for Ten Hag in the second half of the season. Um, so that's the only thing I could think because Champions League qualification is so important for Man United, not just from a reputation and prestige point of view, but Ineos can only really reshape Manchester United's squad if they have the revenues that come from being in the Champions League. You know, they are they are really on the line with FFP, which is another advantage for Ten Hag because it's going to cost money to get rid of him and get rid of his staff. Now, what I don't know is whether there's any sort of conditions in his contract that if you fall out of Europe and you're not in the Champions League places, that that may reduce in some way. I don't know, but that wouldn't be completely unusual. 80% of the things we're talking about help Ten Hag, but it's not really because of anything he's doing. It's all kind of external factors that are playing in for him. I think Ten Hag is a, is a good coach, perhaps even a very good coach, but I don't think he's a very good manager. And handing him the reins to the transfer dealings, I think, has set United back because there is still a lot of players that are probably not at United's standard, the way that United perceive themselves and will never be. But in order to phase them out and in order to really change, you need the player to be players to come in who are definitely better. And not, not enough of them have arrived. There's still so many question marks over these players. The ones who have come who look, who look good are young and will not have the consistency, the experience, the kind of stature and personality to perform at the highest level now every single, every single week or two times a week. They need a lot more time. So for a club that was trying to reinvent itself, you look at the transfer policy and it was just a total disaster, really. But I think that in terms of the the spend of, of 450 million pounds, that 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 lands at United's door, that lands at John Murta's door, because he's the one in there signing off on these fees. Um and yeah, Ten Hag is pushing behind the scenes for different players, but he wanted Frankie de Jong as his as his number six and ended up with Casemiro, who, yeah, very good player, but you know, at the end of his career, you'd say, had a good season, but we perhaps predicted that it would tail off in, you know, season two, three. Um, and that was only a panic buy after they'd lost the first two games of the season. Anthony, same thing. By that point, you know, we interviewed Edwin van der Sar and you know, he said that he was challenging United to go higher for Anthony. You know, they, they had them over a barrel. And that is just poor planning and poor management. And so that obviously, you know, Eric Tenag is, is absolutely a part of that. But I think that just the wider structure of United is the is the real issue where why aren't they recommending uh, different alternative players in, in different positions? You know, Jurgen Klopp didn't necessarily want Mohamed Salah, but that was his recruitment department that said, no, this is, you know, trust in this guy and, and we'll bring him in. And, you know, he's obviously done incredible work. And obviously Klopp also has his own players that he will, will push for. And uh, I think Darwin Nunes is a case in point on that one. But there needs to be this kind of balance between the two. 
And it is a system that um, John Murta sets up. You know, he was charged with revamping United's recruitment system after uh, Sir Alex Ferguson left and took a lot of the secrets with him in his in his own mind. Ed Woodward uh, tasked Murta with um, rebuilding it from scratch, kind of. He, he hired Steve Brown from Everton to be head of recruitment and they, you know, Project Bethlehem, they called it. Uh, and they've, you know, they've now got 140 scouts worldwide and, and a massive database uh, called Trackerman, which is their own creation. And, they'll have reports on every single player you know across the world the issue is are they listened to the scouts and who takes the decisive action and when do they strike and can they actually get deals done for good value because clearly you know in the last couple of years beyond that that hasn't been the case can they afford to sack Ten Hag? Because I mean, if, if you think about the Mourinho time, they were still paying off his team until very recently yeah and I mean look they've got they've taken out this kind of credit facility um, that you know, there's not that much left on that. The cash reserves are getting pretty low. Um, they have to hit their cycle with financial fair play, which so they wouldn't certainly wouldn't choose to be laying out even more money to to sack a manager. And that's why I said I think that gives him a certain amount of time. Um, equally, sometimes it just becomes unsustainable and irretrievable, and you kind of have to take the hit almost pay now think later about how you're going to sort this out maybe you sell someone um united's financial situation is really bad really really bad um in terms of you know three how much leeway they have and much of that can't really be solved by actually an investor coming in they can do a little bit but they still have to be within reason of their revenues and that's why the champions league or even europa league is important and it's why you know for you'll get some kind of more football people saying second half of the season you'll have players fit you'll have uh, a bit more space in the calendar and what it might do is help them actually get into next season's champions league which is probably if you're doing a kind of a net thing more important than staying in the europa league this season but I don't, would you bet on them at the moment anything in January I mean (laughs) loan deals I mean you you look at the Sabitzer and yeah I mean January I mean this is another when when people who have covered Manchester United it's almost like fatigue right of talking about this stuff (laughs) but like one of the major major stories that we've heard so many times over the past decade is how long it can take for things to happen Um, I've said it before like by the time Jadon Sancho arrived at Manchester United it was like a shrug of the shoulders because they'd spent years, literally years, trying to get him and saying they were going to get him. So when he comes, it's like, who's next? And with and with this Ineos investment, it's taken over a year since the strategic review started. By the time they actually get through the door, by the time it's confirmed, we think it'll be next week, so just before Christmas. But they're not going to be able to do anything in January because there'll be regulatory processes involved. So January-wise... I don't think they can do very much at all, even though they're having a few meetings now, I think, behind the scenes. But because of the FFP situation, I think the best United will be able to do is if they can get a Martial out or a Varane out. I mean, there's not that many other players you can really afford to lose Mm. in January. And then even then you're looking at cheap or loan options in the market. So I wouldn't expect kind of revolutionary stuff from Man United in January. Raph, looking at, you know, that possible fifth place in next season's Champions League. And Adam's alluded to it a fair bit, but England are sort of third in place of that 
fifth place in, in the Champions League. Are we pinning all hopes on Newcastle to, to do the business, to make sure that Manchester United or someone, whoever comes in fifth next season, can uh, get a place in the Champions League? Well, United certainly have to hope that the other English clubs, including their, their beloved neighbours, Man City, continue to do really well to help them, um, giving them a bit more leeway. But of course, yes, playing the Europa League... Uh, takes a lot of time and a lot of games but I think it would have been a useful way of, of also possibly qualifying for for the Champions League and winning a trophy there would have been even with all their flaws I think among the favourites or at least certainly among the contenders to um, to lift that trophy but there's just one more thought that I had about Ten Hag and his future I think last year he benefited from the sense that United really supported him to the hilt it was very clear that he was going to be indulged in terms of the transfer market. It was very clear that whatever he said in terms of who he wanted in and out of the squad, I'm thinking of Ronaldo, for example, was gospel. And I think that carried over to, into the season. But now with Ineos coming in, I think it's not a total coincidence that the first briefings against Ten Hag have arrived now, because I think there is a sense that perhaps he isn't quite as safe and that perhaps briefing against him is not going to have huge repercussions because who knows if he's going to be there in, in six months or so. So whenever you sense weakness, whenever there's a sense that there is not going to be a strong comeback, that the club, however you define it, are not going to back the manager to the hilt against players who are briefing and, 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 and feel that they can do so with a certain amount of liberty, that's when things happen. I think that's a dangerous moment, again, for him to be in because I can see that process accelerating. The more United play badly, the more the self-preservation instinct to, to put the point the finger at the coach will kick in and we see more and more stories about him being stubborn and being very Dutch and being all those things that worked in his favour last year will be constructed as being counterproductive this season. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
surely not another hat trick against Manchester. Oh, Firmino! It is another! It's seven for Liverpool! Sensational! Astonishing! Incredible! The greatest win against Manchester United there's ever been has been served. Just before we move on to the Liverpool match, I'm coming to you on that one. <laughs> I don't know where you're at Anfield. Um, Laurie, you know, if, if that position does become untenable, are there even any conversations around um, possible names that can be thrown into that hat right now that people are looking at? Because we were talking about this before we started the pod with Adam. I mean, I can't imagine anyone big enough or interesting enough out there. There are a lot of managers still, don't get me wrong, but to solve this problem in, in, in the short term, at least... Well, that is the other element um, to it when Adam was making his list of reasons why, you know, Ten Hag, it's not it's not the kind of um, expected thing that Ten Hag, you know, is going to lose his job or is under pressure. It's, it's in the end game. Is because who do United bring in? That's always been the question, really. Um, you know, obviously they had to rely on an interim um, after they sacked the last guy, uh, the last permanent manager. So, you know... And, and previously. Through, yeah. And, and so, I mean, but then you also look at, okay, Roberto De Zerbi, you know, everyone thinks that maybe he's going to take over from Pep Guardiola at Man City. He, he looks like a really promising manager in the Premier League, attacking football, interesting. But his pedigree isn't as good as Ten Hag's was when Ten Hag came into the building. Um, United, I do feel like they need a, a figure that can get hold of the dressing room. You know, you've had the kind of figure in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who has perhaps been more lenient I would say with players um, more on their level you know that ended up getting him out the door the, the, the players seem to be kicking back against Ten Hag's uh, disciplinary streak and, and you know kind of authoritarian take on things um, but I do feel like that is going to be an issue for whatever manager comes into the building because it's such a huge club so much focus as Raf's alluded to you, you have these elements that are then competing against each other I, I, I've no doubt that there's players that are on the pitch that are thinking of themselves in certain moments just because that's a natural instinct when you think well if I make a mistake here I'm going to get a huge amount of scrutiny and I don't actually want that to be the case right now so it's difficult to get that kind of team unity and togetherness I think in in this situation now I'm not saying that, that there's nobody that could do a better job than Eric Ten Hag at all but I and I wouldn't necessarily trust at the moment the people in position to make that call or even you know in terms of Ineos um, today Brailsford I think who is going to have the kind of sporting control you know his record at Nice you can you can have a look at and, and wonder is has that gone uh, to plan so far so it's such a difficult call to make who then to bring into the club um, aside from just going okay this isn't working this this hasn't got any future left and, and make and, and getting rid of the current manager I love Laurie's words there team unity and togetherness um, Man United lost to win at Old Trafford to Bournemouth Bayern Munich straight after that lost at Old Trafford um, Liverpool next away at Anfield then you've got West Ham away and then Aston Villa at home, team unity and togetherness. How on earth <laughs> should you get that ready for, for, for what looks like three insane fixtures? You could almost put any three fixtures in the Premier League there. You think so? Right? The, Anyone? Well, apart from the bottom three, I just don't, you don't trust Man United at the moment to, to necessarily go and beat teams in a convincing way. Liverpool clearly is an intimidating fixture, I think, both. I mean, particularly now with the injury list as well. I don't think it almost already feels like damage limitation, right? You go there and you think, take 6-0 right? <laughs> after last year. But I struggle to see how Man United win that game. I mean, they've scored one goal at Anfield in eight years in any case. So there is clearly a psychological block that United have experienced there. 
it's it's interesting because there used to be a pattern that kind of whichever team was up between United or Liverpool over the years would ordinarily be the other team that would give you a bloody nose because almost that pride and that rival rivalry and derby fever would kind of set in. Whereas this kind of recent version of Man United just wilts at Anfield. I mean, it was 7-0 last year. Was it four the year before when Ralph Rangnick was manager? Obviously 5-0 at Old Trafford when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was manager. So there are scars there. United know what Liverpool can do. Liverpool are scoring goals. They're not in... They're not playing brilliantly. But they weren't even in their best last season, if you think about no, it. I mean, it was, that was also, I maintain, that was a very weird game, <laughs> right? It was hot, It was nil-nil at half-time. Yeah. And United were arguably the better team in the first half and then somehow lost the game 7-0. And I don't really think United have recovered from that moment on. Like, actually, they've not played well very often since then. So it clearly had some impact on the dressing room, um, as you would understand. Uh, Liverpool opening a bit of a new stand, I think, as well on Sunday. So the atmosphere should be good. And I think Liverpool fans will be going there expecting a party, right? That That's the way they'll be feeling. United fans will be travelling with a bit of sense of dread. Um, and then you look at, you know, what's Man United's likely defence you know, and midfield on Sunday? What, Wan-Bissaka, Evans, Varane, Dallow, midfield, McTominay, Amrabat, Mainu, I mean, you know, that is that is a tough situation. So it might help United in that hope you would think Ten Hag will just go there and and camp a bit like they did last night, and that should at least limit the damage to a certain extent. But that's a pretty emasculating state for a club the size of Man United with that budget to be in. All right, let's end it there. Adam, Laurie and Rafa, thanks for your time. And also the latest episode of Talk of the Devils is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Please also remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. <laughs>